Good morning. And my shirt is definitely brighter than Paul's, so how <laughs> Jill could not see me sitting down there. I know. We got similar shirts, haven't we? Here we are. <laughs> Yes, it is a hand down. Any, anything trendy that I have has been handed down by my son. Um, this is a hand down from James, yeah, I, I have to admit. Right, um, a little while ago, John was deciding what we should all speak on. He, he uh, went to Isaiah and asked me to do Isaiah 60, so I went and did Isaiah 40 again. Um, so this time he's just said, do what you like, so I'll do Isaiah 60. <laughs> so then I have fulfilled... All John's requirements. So we're in Isaiah 60, if you'd like to, if you don't have to look it up, but um, I'm going to start by reading the first line of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the risen Lord is upon you. And we can divide this down to help us break this down into three little thoughts. The first thought, arise, shine. Here's a command to you. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Uh, how about arising and shining? Right? There's a good, good start. Uh, well, the theme this morning very much is going to follow on from the prayer time uh, that we had. So um, it's all about not fretting. So it all came in. So arise, shine. The second line, for your light has come. God is calling you. And the third point, for the glory of the Lord who has risen upon you. How can you rise and shine? Because God's help is with you. Okay, that's the usual triumphalist way of handling these verses. We are not going there this morning. We're going to look at the whole verse as it stands. Arise, shine. If you are going to arise, what does that mean? It means you fell down. And so often reading this chapter, people forget that. This is not a chapter about standing up, shining and rising because you have been called to be glorious above the nations. It's not what it says. It says you have fallen and God will rise you up. There is no rising up without falling. Which is, we come back to the theme that we've just had about fret not. You're only going to fret if you're in trouble. So let's read this through. And if I have a theme this morning, it's, You can only arise from adversity. You can only arise from adversity. And there are deliberately two meanings in there. Okay, the first meaning is, if you're down low, the only way is up. Which is encouraging. The second thought is this. The only way you can go up, arise, is if you have been through adversity. Adversity is part of the Christian walk. It's part of the Christian life. I was really, really tempted this morning to spend some time looking at some silly questions Christians get asked, like, why does God allow his suffering, etc., etc. But I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to say, well, he does. So if you can't handle that, talk about it later. It's a fact. He allows suffering. How did Christ redeem you through suffering? So Christ allows sufferings. But it's in our suffering that we learn to arise. It's in our suffering that we learn to shine. And that is the message that's being given um, to Israel this morning. Now, I want you to hold that in your head. We're going to come back to that. We're now going to take an entirely different sidestep and talk about something entirely different, if you'll forgive me. 
the reason is because last time I was here, I was given two tasks by the trustees. One was to speak, and the other one was to mention the church's finances, if you remember. And I told you that we were running at a deficit, if you remember. Okay. Well, we had a trustees meeting last week, this week, when was it? This week? And the trustees asked me to come back and feed back to you where we are. And we are no longer running at a deficit. We are now covering our costs. There's been an increase in giving all round. So I want to bring that back to you and thank you for doing that. I also want to be honest with you and say we're not exactly flush with money. Um, we haven't got all loads of money coming in. We are now running, though, at, at a comfortable level. Did we say comfortable? No, we didn't say that. No, we're running at a... We're covering the costs. We're covering the costs. So we've gone from not covering the cost to covering the cost. So I think that is something to be grateful for, and it's rising from adversity. So it's part of the theme. I also wanted to bring you a little story, which is personal to me, just to bring in to help us understand these things. Many, many years ago, many years ago, didn't seem long to me and Maggie, but many years ago, in the 1980s, basically, um, for reasons that I'm not going to go into now, I was involved with a lot of traveling um, in what for some, most of us here will still remember, um, something called the Eastern European Iron Curtain and the threat of communism, which today's generation go, what? But yeah, we were very much involved in that ministry. Um, I was very much involved in that area, and it, it left some problems. One of the problems it left was how do you govern? How do you make sure people are watching over what you do? Because by definition, everything has to be pretty quiet. Um, you can't go telling people where you are or what you are. My poor wife had to put up with me going off weeks on end. She didn't even know which country I was in, never mind what I was doing. But there we are. But during that time, I made a, a small covenant with the church that was here at the time. And I, I said, look, this is very simple. Um, either God's going to send the money in for this or he's not. If I feel that I'm being financially supported, I'll carry on. If I'm not financially supported, I won't. Because I had, a, I had an agreement with the church here. And they ran a book, a ledger, in their church accounts, which covered my ministry costs. And I said to them, this is very simple, I am never going to ask you how much money I have for ministry, and you're never to tell me. That's how it's going to go. Because if it runs out, I am going to stop. Bear in mind, there was some risk in this, going backwards and forwards. And I said, if it runs out, that's it, I'm going to stop. So you, I'll, just say, I'll just send you bills and you pay them. And they, they were up for that. And this lasted for, I don't know, nearly 10 years, wasn't it? It was quite a long time. Um, finally, when the uh, Berlin War came down and you could go in these countries freely, there was no need for people like me to be going in behind the doors with all sorts of cover stories and, and speaking, whatever, all the things we were doing. There was no need for it, so we, we stopped the ministry. After we stopped the ministry, I went to the treasurer and said, well, look, yeah, just out of curiosity, because how did it go? What happened? And he said, well, he said it was quite an amazing story, but um, there was one occasion, one occasion where you went £250 overdrawn in the church accounts. So we had a church meeting with, with, the, with the trustees, and we decided that we were just going to cover it this time and not tell you. And a week or two later, the money came in. And that went on for 10 years. So I learned something. I learned that if you're honourable to God, he is honourable to you that we have enough money in this church. We're not going to run out of money. The Lord is going to supply the resources of this church. But it may come from struggle, and it may come from trust, and it may need people to sacrificially give. But it will happen. So I just bring that to you as a testimony. I have no concerns whatsoever over the financial stability of this church. At all. 
But it might mean each of us has to respond in a different way. So that was to feedback as the trustees asked me. I've now done it. Can I tick that box, Jill? Thank you. Right. Let's come back to um, uh, Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now the next verse. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen on you. So there's the principle. There is darkness, but the Lord will see you through. And that's the message of this verse. Now, how you, how you interpret Isaiah 60 is very much up to you. That There are lots of different theories, three main theories as to how you interpret Isaiah 60. I'm just going to, to help us in our Bible understanding and our Bible knowledge, just going to look at a few of those things this morning. If you turn to verse 19, this may help you understand these scriptures. This is... The chapter basically starts uh, with verse 1, and it goes through saying that God is going to bring great blessing through, through you to the other nations, to Israel. You are going to be a light to all the nations. This is both a, a, a chapter uh, to individuals and to the nations of Israel. But how we interpret this, verse 19, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall go no more down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Now, I do like things to be a little logical. I do think God when he speaks to us, speaks in a way that he intends us to understand. So this clearly says, the sun shall be no more. What does that mean? Either this passage is talking about a time to come when God has rearranged the universe and we don't have a sun, or he is saying this is allegorical. I really do have trouble, sorry if this is you, with people who pick out verses and say, literal, allegorical, allegorical, literal, because you're picking your own meaning. You're just deciding what you want it to say with great respect. You either take the scripture as a whole and see the meaning of the passage. Some passages in the Bible are meant to be taken literally. It's pretty obvious. Others are meant to be taken allegorically. It's pretty obvious. I do not believe that a seven-headed beast is going to rise out of the sea and swallow America. I think that is allegorical. I do believe the message of Daniel. Allegorically. In other words, it's a parable. Jesus taught in parables. Jesus is not a door. I am the way. He's not a road. He used parables. And I think this is a parable with great respect because it clearly says here, the sun will be no more your day and your light. So when I read this passage all the bit about instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stone, iron. I will make your overseer's peace. I think this is all allegorical. And he's talking about the blessing that Israel is going to bring to the nations. 
And it gives this, this, this poetic description of this amazing blessing that Israel is going to bring to the nations. And if we take that as a, a way of understanding, we can immediately identify two amazing blessings that Israel brought to the nations. One will be acceptable to Israel today, the second one only to the Messianic Jews. So the first one. When this was written, this was written by Isaiah. Remember, we did a little bit of the history here. It does help to have the history. Isaiah is writing about 700 BC. And this is the time that the Assyrians have come down. They've conquered the whole of the northern kingdom and they have besieged Jerusalem, but they were sent away. So they were redeemed by God's grace. But they're under the threat from the Assyrians and they know the Babylonians are going to be coming. So they're under a bit of a threat. This is the time this was written. Now, what else did they have at the time? Well, interestingly, we can find in the scripture itself, if you've got the Bible open, look at Proverbs 25, verse 1. Proverbs 25, verse 1. And it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah of Judah copied. So we know that in Hezekiah's time, the Proverbs of Solomon were being written down. They were being collected. Now, they existed because they were the Proverbs of Solomon. And Solomon was maybe, um, say, 900 AD, so 300 years before, before this, or 200 years before this. They're collecting up the Proverbs of Solomon, bringing into the one place. So that tells us that a lot of what we would call the Old Testament is not yet collated at this time of Hezekiah. It's still being brought together. Then, look at 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8. This is under Josiah. And this is some 60 or 70 years after Hezekiah. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law that was given through Moses. So we know that the book of the law had been lost. And Josiah makes a great thing of this and actually brings it back in. It's one of the greatest things about Josiah's uh, rules. He finds the Jewish law and brings it back. So we know that at the time that Isaiah was writing this, the Jewish um, law, what we would call the Old Testament, had not been collated. It existed, but it wasn't all brought to one place. The law was lost. The problems of Solomon were still being collected. When was the law brought together into one place? Well, most academics and theologians today would say, oh, this is pretty obvious. It's during the captivity. It's during the time that um, it, after Jerusalem has been conquered and they're taken to Babylon, that's when they sit down and put together the Old Testament law. And that existed before because it was found. It wasn't written in the time of Josiah. Important point. It was found. So it was all over the place, but it was in the time of Josiah that it was brought together. So for me, one of the interpretations of Isaiah 60, the great blessing that would be brought to the people by the people of Israel was the Jewish law, was the Old Testament, which was brought together and put in one place at one time at that time, following what? Following their darkest moment. Following the time when 
when Daniel and others were being led off to captivity, only men of faith, great men of faith who believed the scriptures, would be saying, this nation's going to exist. They have an example of the northern kingdom being taken into captivity and completely destroyed. We don't hear about the, the, the lost tribes of Israel again. The northern kingdom goes. Why would that be different from the southern kingdom? Because only faith would have kept them together. So as they're taken into captivity, they must be thinking, some of them, it's over. God has completely um, taken this away. But in that captivity, in their greatest challenge, arguably one of the greatest things ever to come out of the Jewish culture comes out, which is the, the Old Testament. Not the... Some people say it was written in that time. Well, maybe some of, some of it probably was written in that time. But certainly most of it, I believe, was collated. It was brought together. They went out and found it. They, they, they brought it and they made this one, uh, they made this work which became known as the Old Testament. For those of us who are Christians, would say, of course, the other thing that came out of Israel after that time was, of course, the coming of Jesus which is predicted by the Old Testament and shown by the Old Testament. So these great things come out of this darkest time. So I want to encourage you just to face the reality that God allows suffering and out of suffering, he causes blessing. We'll not go into the philosophy, theology, hermeneutics, and all the other apologetics. It's just, that's just air. We'll forget that. The reality is, this is how God deals with us. Out of our suffering, he brings blessing. Arise, shine, is the start of Isaiah 60. Arise from the suffering, from the difficulties, from the trauma that you are going through, and I will lift you up, and you will shine. That's the message of Isaiah 60. Now, I couldn't not say something this morning about the World Cup, could I? <laughs> I'm going to just uh, bring a little example, a little change uh, along the same theme. But this is what happened. This is what I saw happening in the World Cup um, just this week, which I, I have found incredibly amusing. And um, I'll, I'll just feed on to you. I am not a football fan, okay? I, I have to look all this stuff up. It's only serendipitously that I've found all this out. Anybody here could have heard of Neymar? Yes. Yeah. Who's heard of Neymar? Right. Anybody want to tell me about Neymar? Neymar is a Brazilian football player. He is one of the best uh, Brazilian football players, I understand. And he is a genius, I am told. And I look, he's also what? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. We will come to that. If you look up Wikipedia and you look up Neymar, you will find this. And I'm just going to read this out of Wikipedia. Neymar is a Christian and follows the Pentecostal branch of the religion. Neymar has spoken about his faith, saying, life only makes sense when our highest ideal is to serve Christ. I'm quoting Wikipedia. Additionally, he has sometimes worn a headband with the words, 100% Jesus. 
Neymar reported, reportedly also tithes 10% of his income to his church and has named Kaka as his religious role model. Every year, Neymar organizes a charity match with fellow Brazilian footballer Nene or something in Nene's something hometown, which I can't pronounce, for the purpose of raising food for the needy families. So this guy is a stand-up and count me Christian. He mentions Kaka as his religious role model. If you look up Kaka, you get this. Kaka is a devout evangelical Christian who was an active member of the something in Portuguese I can't pronounce, rebirth in the Church of Christ. He became engrossed in religion at the age of 12. I learned that it is faith that decides whether something will happen or not, he said. He removed his jersey uh, to reveal an I belong to Jesus t-shirt and openly engaged in prayer moments after the final whistle of Brazil's 2002 World Cup. I remember that. At the age of 18, Kaka suffered a career-threatening and possibly paralyzing-inducing spinal fracture as a result of a swimming pool accident, but made a full recovery. He attributes his recovery to God and has since tithed his income to the church. So these guys are stand up and be counted Christians. So if you want to make an idiot of yourself, as a Christian, in front of the whole world, beat this. I mean, now you know where we're coming from, right? It was Brazil playing Puerto Rico, which is not necessarily big football in nature. And Brazil had messed up the previous game. Brazil have to win this game, right? They have to win this game. There is about two minutes left, two or three minutes left. In, uh, well, I think it was just was it just before injury time. That, was this in injury time? Was it? Anyway, there's six or so minutes of it. There's not a lot of time left. All right, and Neymar is 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 um, Brazil's top scorer. Now you can see this as plain as day on the cameras. There is a nanosecond of time in the penalty area when he has a clear shot on goal, and at the same time, a defender's arm comes up and brushes just his shirt like that. So in those seconds, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot for goal? Or are you going to throw yourself on the floor, kick your legs up in the air and scream for a penalty? Now, guess what he did? I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And he did it very well, actually, because the, the referee points immediately to the penalty spot. And so they want a penalty. The Costa Ricans kept their cool and very politely gathered around the referee. You can see them just reasoning, say, please, referee, please, you are now allowed to use the video camera. Please use the video camera. And the referee, you can see him, okay, so he rings up, and then you can see his face change as he hears the, what the video camera guy is saying. And the referee walks off the pitch, goes to find the little, and watches it himself. Meanwhile, of course, we've all seen it. And it, I mean, it, it was the clearest dive you're ever going to see. I mean, yes, okay, he did brush his shirt, but I mean, he did not muck him six foot backwards. I mean, he literally went like that. The referee comes back on the pitch and points to the um, bot, cancelled. No penalty. Neymar then loses his rag and hits the ball or something, gets a yellow card. So now this guy, who is stand up and be count me Christian, is now openly cheated, been seen by n billion people all over the world for being cheated, disciplined and lost his rag. I felt really sorry for him, to be honest. Anyway, 
If you want to fall down and make a fool of yourself, that's how to do it. And there's nobody in this room who has yet done that. And I venture to suggest that if we take the people of this room and train you hard and you all work really hard, there's not one of you going to play, play in the World Cup. You're not even going to play for Nuneaton Borough. I mean, let's be fair about it. There are some things we're not called to do. Anybody here think they can play for Nuneaton Borough? Some one or two? Some of the younger ones who are in their 70s? Yeah. Yeah. The point making, this, he, he, he's made a mega fool of himself now, and he, he's a, a, a born-again Christian who's going to have to answer for this. Now, I don't know what happened in his heart. I don't know what God said to him. I don't know if he repented on the pitch. I didn't know what happened. I do know that a couple of minutes later, Brazil scored their goal, and they went through. Great. So they went through. And do you know what happened a couple of seconds after that? Neymar scored a legitimate goal. Now, was that God just patting him on the back and saying, okay, fine, or what? I don't know. I may be reading far too much in it. I like to think that the guy saw the errors off his way, apologized to God, and God gave him a goal at the end as a sort of pat on the back. I like to think that. You may think I'm nuts. But to me, it was a wonderful example of falling down and rising up, you know, there are mega things here. We talk about a nation falling, a nation being taken into captivity, and yet God saying, rise and stand up. And, and some obviously nice guy making a complete idiot of himself in front of the whole world on a football pitch. Who where? Who are you? What level are you? Where, I don't know. But I do know we're all called as individuals. We all have an individual walk. And in that individual walk, whether you're Neymar or Israel, God is calling you to go through the adversity, to stand up and carry on shining for him, which you can only do in his strength. And I'm going to close just by mentioning one thing. We sing a chorus, we sing lots of choruses in this church, but there's one we sing particularly that when I first heard it, I really made me frown a bit, and made me think, I have no question about the um, the words, the words are great, but it's the challenge that it gives. It's, um, we call it oceans, uh, you call me out upon the waters. Um, it's a very, very deep song. And yet it, it's sung, if you listen to the, to the recordings, it's sung iconically opposite. It's, uh, you, you probably don't know the name of the singer, but it's this young lady singing this song in a very wistful, almost sort of, pretty way the words are not that at all the words i can best use the words is dark and challenging because it's the basic theme of the song is god will call me out upon the waters referring obviously to peter walking on the water and my faith will carry me through and that has this invitation it has this invitation spirit lead me where my trust is without borders let me walk upon the waters wherever you call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. It's that line, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Do you realize what that is a prayer for? That's a calling, that's saying, God, call me to great suffering 
so that I can learn to trust in you. It's a song that is basically saying, Lord, call me to suffering so that I will trust. And it has this sort of picture of, I will be wonderful above the waves because I'll be trusting you. Not without great cost. Not without great cost. Trust comes with great cost. If you want to be above the waves, above the turmoil of this life, above the challenges of this life, without the care in the world, you will only find that through great cost. It's not a trite thing to pray. It's not an easy thing to pray. Great cost brings great blessing, but it is at a great cost. If we look at the scriptures, we look at Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, I'll start with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into his grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing and this is the verse, knowing that it is suffering that produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I first learned that in King James Version. It says, tribulation works patience, Patience, experience, and experience hope. If we want to have this hope, if we want to have a faith that truly walks above the waters, the scripture says it comes through tribulation. And that's what we're praying for when we sing that song. I'm not saying we shouldn't sing it, but I'm saying we should sing it knowing what we're doing. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The other side to this, of course, is that God has a purpose in our suffering. Our suffering is not something that God is overlooking. It's not something that God has just allowed to happen. God controls our suffering, and our suffering has a purpose. Now, our suffering has a purpose in the next life, yes, it also has a purpose in this life. So whatever our challenge, be it as minor as an entertainer falling over, which is what Neymar basically is, or as serious as a nation being taken into captivity, which is what Israel was, God has a purpose in our suffering. And suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, let's come back to the start of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its beauty. We thank you for its enduring properties. We thank you that crosses all time. 
And it crosses civilizations, it crosses cultures. It's your word and comes from you. Thank you for it. Amen.